Welcome to Guitar Villains. I'm your host, Tyler Larson. Why guitar villains, you ask? Well, because villains are cooler than heroes. It's just a fact. Thank you so much for watching on YouTube, or you can also listen to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. This is a podcast by guitar players for guitar players, and over the course of this series, we will be talking to the most creative and innovative minds in our community in order to dissect just how they've achieved what they have on the instrument and how you can become a better guitar player yourself. Today's guitar villain is Misha Mansoor, a key founder of the beguiling genre of gent and an overall machine of a guitar player. Misha is the mastermind behind the wall of sound that is the band Periphery. A signature artist of Jackson Guitars and Bare Knuckle Pickups, the founder of the excellent Get Good Drums software, and an avid sports car enthusiast. Misha is also the founder of Horizon Devices, a company featuring some truly spectacular guitar pedals like the Precision Drive, the Apex Preamp, and the Flux Echo. And now most recently, they're making guitar strings. With that resume, you better prepare your Yourself, because it's time for Guitar Villains. Welcome to Guitar Villains, the show where we deconstruct and decode the guitar. And Misha, I have to ask you right off the bat, before we get into any guitar stuff, how fast have you ever driven in a car? Um, well, like, it depends on the speed limit. If Without the speed limit yourself. is 75, then I'm going 75. Right. So I guess 75. No, I've gotten, I've gotten up to, I think, 190 in, in one of my cars. So can you, for anybody who doesn't understand, why, why would you be going 190 and where would you be doing that? Uh, I was in Mexico uh, and I was racing a friend uh, and it was not in the US, it was in Mexico and, uh, and he kept accelerating so I kept accelerating. I didn't even look at the speed. I had a passenger, I, had like a, I was like taking someone's friend and they were like, dude, you just hit 190. I'm like, oh, I probably should slow down. <laughs> <laughs> That's unreal. Uh, I, but I've it's, just fun, seen it's the- funny because I don't, I really don't care about straight line speed at all. And especially in the car I was in, it really doesn't feel like that impressive. Like they're, they're, it's, a, it's effectively a German car and they're built for the Autobahn. So they're very stable at speed. So, um, 110 feels like 150 feels like 190. It's like, it's just like a little louder, I guess, but like, I like corners. I see. Yeah, I've seen some really cool vehicles. Call them vehicles. Uh, vehicles on your on your Instagram and stuff. And I had to I had to ask you that question. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we do some something some things a little bit differently on this show. We're gonna play some games. I'm gonna try and get to the bottom of what makes you tick as okay. a musician, and hopefully you'll have a great time. And maybe the next time you're in Nashville, we can find an empty stretch of road to go the speed limit. Uh, yeah we'll go exactly the speed limit so the show is called guitar villains because villains i think are cooler than heroes and i've always found the characters are deeper and more memorable so the first thing i want to ask is out of all movie or comic book villains out there who would you say you identify with the most and it could be something as Mm. simple as like the appearance or 
something as nuanced as like their character traits. And if you want, I'll give you my answer for which villain I think you're most like. And okay. then you can respond yeah. with a different choice. Wait, but or before you, you start, who's your favorite DBZ villain? DBZ villain has to be Frieza. Okay, good. Um, good. I'll, I'll, I'll get down with Frieza. I think he's got a good arc. It could be, it could be Raditz um, or Frieza. Yeah. Okay. What about you? So not, not like, no, I, I think Frieza is the default answer. Cell was pretty interesting. I, I think when it got to Majin Buu and stuff like that, it started to get pretty wacky. Yeah. Like Frieza is like kind of like the definitive DBZ villain, you know? Yeah. I mean, Goku and then wait, does, doesn't he come back in the end or something? I think that's when I started to like, just not care. I didn't watch. I think that's GT Dragon Ball GT or whatever. Yeah. The one after Z is I didn't watch that really at all. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't either. Um, so, all right. I'll, I want to let you know. I think you're Aridin, the king of the w- the wild hunt from The Witcher Three. Oh, okay. I don't, know, I don't know how much you know that video game franchise, but yeah, yeah, I love I love The Witcher Three. Wow, okay. that's 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 pretty obscure. That's a and you know as a villain, I don't know that much about him other than that like he's just kind of chasing you the whole game and he's right. a freakish elf dude. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so, so I'm complimentary in all my villain comparisons. So the okay. reason the reason I chose Aridin is first of all, if he played guitar, I think he would most certainly write riffs just like yours, just as, okay. based on his appearance and the way your music sounds. Um, and he has access to the gate of the worlds, uh, which allows him to travel to different worlds at will. So the same is kind of true about you. You travel to different musical worlds, if you will, uh, whether it's the crushing world of periphery or uh, the manufacturing stronghold of horizon devices or the engineering abyss of get good drums uh, in other worlds. I probably don't know about, which maybe we'll get into. Uh, well, no, but that's, you've thought about this. This is, this is clever. That was, a, that's <laughs> actually a very clever pick. Yeah. I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you like that pick. So that's, that's your, your uh, doppelganger for a villain. And the first okay. segment I want to get into is I call it burning questions. Okay. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of production value in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've upped it since last time. I like it. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate it. So, uh, these are rapid fire questions. If you were to say, conduct a live masterclass where anyone could ask you questions about anything they want regarding music. These are questions that, in my opinion, you would definitely get over and over. So like instead of them asking you about guitar playing secrets and wisdom or anything else that could help them become a better guitar player, they would no doubt spam the, the, the chat window or the audience. Everybody would want to know these things, which in fact don't totally matter, but for some reason must be answered. Right. So you ready? Yep. Okay. What gauge pick do you use? Uh, usually it's like a 60, I want to say like, a, yeah, it's pretty thin. 60. Okay. So 0.60 millimeter. Yeah. Like, like very flexible. Sometimes I'll use a 74.74 in the studio, but yeah, very light what, live, especially. What about, uh, what string gauge do you use? That depends on the guitar. Um, so we have like horizon devices, progressive tension strings. My, I actually have my sets labeled, but for six string, uh, I tend to use the ten to fifty eight set, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, the ten to sixty five set for the seven string, and those are tuned in drop C and drop A flat, respectively. What's your number one guitar? 
That's hard, man. Do you have a number one? Do you really have a number one guitar? Like, I see that wall back there. <laughs> you can't have a number one, really? I, I have a, a most cherished one. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, every guitar player, you have one that you pick up for the situation, but yeah, I have one that means the most to me, so maybe that would be the criteria you could use. I mean, I've got, like, the, these... These sevens here are pretty sick. Like I, I use this this seven. It doesn't look like much. It's actually one of the most understated sevens that that I have in my range. But um, it's my signature model, uh, the Juggernaut USA Seven. Mm-hmm. But this thing's such a workhorse. I use it live. I've been recording uh, the solo album with it. it. Just it just sound. This one's got mojo. Nice. Um, I've got uh, back here actually. Here, let me see if I can get it without tripping over everything. This one actually might be the the most special. Misha's going back in his studio. Yeah, studio there we stronghold. go. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one before. That one's really this cool. This is the Strat, so it basically looks like a dad rock guitar, but this thing shreds like you wouldn't believe, and it's extremely versatile. It's got, like, my uh, signature uh, Ragnarok, uh, bare-knuckle Ragnarok bridge pickup in there, but it's also got, like, uh, these custom neck and middle single coils, so you can get any sound you want out of this. It's got a 20-inch radius fretboard stainless steel jumbo fret so it actually plays like a shredders guitar but it totally looks like a relic strat which i which i just love you know nice total sleeper um so this this actually might be my most cherished one if you, if i was to put it that way it's a very special guitar Great. and i needed uh, i needed special permission from fender for jackson to be able to put the um the jackson logo on the headstock so yeah, <laughs> they yeah, don't I've like never doing seen that. A jackson with that kind of flavor uh, okay, two more burning questions. What's your favorite amp or your go-to amp? Uh, I mean, I have my... Uh, you can't see it right now. My my PV Invective, um, that is... You know, I designed that to be... It's my collaboration with PV. It's, I designed that to be like the perfect amp. There really isn't a situation that you can't just throw at it that won't excel in. And finally, what's your favorite guitar pedal? Uh, I have to give it to the Horizon Vice's Precision Drive again, my pedal. But like that thing was something that we designed and made because it didn't exist. I wanted it to exist. No one made it. I was like, I can't believe no one has made this. It's basically, a modern tube screamer for people who like to t- tune low and want more adjustability and want a gate in there because you're you're going to be getting it anyways. Uh, and it's done really really well for us. It kind of changed my life. So on many levels, that would probably be my favorite pedal. And it's still something that, that I swear by today. Uh, you know, like when I go on clinic tours, I'm going to, I don't actually bring my guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackson does such a good job with my guitars. They're so consistent. I could just play whatever in the store. As long as it's, I set it up, um, you know, as long as it's the right tuning, right strings, it'll play exactly like my guitar. So I just play whatever's in the store. And I'm not even that picky about what amp I play through, because if it's got even a little bit of gain, uh, if I put my precision drive in front of it, it'll be it'll be fine. So I just bring one of those, and and I can get through whatever clinic I have to do. So I can travel really light thanks to that. Killer. So first uh, deep dive question I want to get into is something I have to ask, and I mean this, Misha, in the most complimentary way possible. Okay. Uh oh, here we go. We're friends, so don't take this the wrong way. All right. Uh, most of the chords you play in especially your your heavy riff writings, not the clean stuff, mm-hmm. but the heavier stuff, you create like this massive chasm of sonic goodness. And <laughs> I feel like in the wrong hands, the harmonic devices that you use could sound like walking into a guitar center on like a Saturday and there's 27 <laughs> people playing 27 yeah. different things. 
so why, my question is, why is your sense of harmony so completely fucking like backwards compared to most guitar players? Uh, well, I, I, I was self-taught, so I never really, I never took lessons or anything like that. I, I think I was blessed with a strong ear. So that's what's always been guiding me is like, I've always been chasing what I hear mm-hmm. and trying to figure it out. Um, so a lot of the stuff I play and a lot of the chords I chase and whatever, are just, you know, I'm like, Oh, like I want to hear these notes together. So let's figure it out. And I've, I've come up with some, some chords that I sort of rely on and some shapes I rely on and note relationships that I rely on, whether it's true layers or all on the same chord in the same guitar that I like, I know I like them. Uh, and it can be tricky when you have distortion, Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of elements in the mix to make those things sound clear. So that's definitely a challenge, and it's the other half of what I've sort of worked on is how do I get all of these notes in but also not have it sound uh, like the cacophony of a guitar center on a Saturday morning, right? You know, yeah. So um, it's, uh, it, it's a challenge for sure. It still is a challenge today. I'm recording a solo album right now, and it's, you know, it's something I'm still fighting with, but it's the goal, you know? Right. Get and all the notes in there. Let me, and like I said, it's it's absolutely perfect when you do it and it's just so unique and i i'm glad i have the context now so since you kind of play by ear or at least that's how you started do you now look at what you do and say oh well my tendency like sometimes i have these minor seconds for example against each other do you even think about that after the fact obviously i would imagine your creative process is still you know, what you're, what you're looking for by ear, but do you still? No, I don't really use, I don't know theory that well. Like I know what a minor second is. I know very basic stuff, but Mm -hmm. I don't use theory. And every time I've tried to learn, I found that my ear sort of makes me cheat and I don't really, nothing ever sticks. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I think, I think theory is a great thing. Like you definitely should learn theory, you know, if, if you want, um, I, I've tried and just failed, but like, for me, it's a means to an end. Like I just want to create, right? So I have a system where I can create and I have, I guess, my own understanding of theory. Uh, the beauty of sort of general music theory is that you can communicate things that are abstractions in a very concrete way to someone else and they'll understand. So I don't have that. You know, I have my understanding of music and note relationships and all that, and it's all abstract and it just stays abstract. So it helps me write, but yeah, I don't look back at it and then sort of you know, look at it in another language, which I don't understand that well, if that makes sense, uh, because it doesn't really have much meaning. And even some of the my friends who know theory extremely well, the ones like like Tosin is a uh, Tosa Basi is a very good friend of mine. We we write a lot together, mm-hmm. and like although he has a phenomenal understanding of theory, he writes on instinct as well. But he may also look back or try to problem solve certain things using theory, and you know that's sort of. Uh, the the best way I've seen it used, um, but I just have my own abstract way of working that that out rather than some sort of concrete generalized way. That's cool way to think about it. Problem solving. So yep. sort of when you're when you hit maybe a part in a song where you're saying, oh, what's the next verse or right. how do I flip this verse to have something interesting happening that's not just a copy and paste of the last verse, for example then maybe it could be useful. Or you're trying to connect two parts and it's like, this is in this key. This is very clunky getting out of this. You know, for me, flow is a very important thing. So this is very clunky getting out of this and going into that. What can we do? How do we solve this problem? I think a lot of recording and writing is problem solving. So, um, yeah, like if you have uh, theory, 
there are certain tricks that you can use, certain rules and, and things that you can use. It's like, oh, well, you know, this is the relative of that, and therefore I could do this. And oftentimes that'll work. I think I have more of an instinct about that stuff where I just hear it. I can't necessarily relate that to like, oh, it's the fifth of the flat five, you know, whatever. But like, I can hear that if we went to this note and that note, you know, that this would resolve nicely. Um, so I have some sort of innate understanding. I just don't really have uh, the, the the generalized knowledge of theory to express it to other people. Yeah, and I love conversations because like this because it always goes in a different direction and everybody has their process and everybody's speaking the same language but they all communicate differently and it's there's no right way to do it and that's what's no, absolutely always fun not. to uh, to kind of discuss. So, now I want to move on to play a little game. Okay. We got some more noise, ready? It's called name those notes. Oh boy. so the concept is pretty simple i'm going to play you a quick sequence of notes from songs that you have recorded over the years and you have to tell me what song those notes come from so we're going to see how well you know your catalog and how well you can recognize your own guitar playing uh, probably not very well, but let's see. <laughs> well, this is an experiment. This is a, a new segment, so we're going to see how well it goes over. I think you might surprise yourself. Watch it crash yourself. and burn thanks to me. I think but... <laughs> you might surprise yourself. We'll see. Um, but it, it'll also spur a conversation about the songs, and uh, I do have the extended versions if you need some some help. But I'm going to play okay. you the quick snippets, and we'll see how well you do. Um, okay. Sound good? Yeah, perfect. All right, we're going to start with what I think is going to be easy, and then we're going to get progressively harder. All right, good. Okay, here we go. Um, uh, that's uh, um, the first track off Periphery 2, uh, uh, Muramasa. See, you got it. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that I know. So this song is awesome. And it's actually you know part of a larger, as far as I've read, part of a, a trilogy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So... I, I just remember hearing this song for the first time. Uh, it was right when I was getting into Olympic weightlifting, which didn't last. Oh for, wow! It didn't last very long because it turns out I'm kind of noodly, so I, I'm more <laughs> cut out for uh, for running. Uh, but it's just such a hard, hard, heavy song, and I, I love the just slow halftime uh, feel of it. it. Starts off with with that. Uh, is that is that a whammy pedal or do you remember? No, that's a synth. That's oh, a synth. synth. I can even tell you which synth it was. I made a patch on an Access Virus TI Polar, and that was a, that was a patch I made, and I liked it, and it just kind of worked for that. Um, and I sold that synth with that patch on it, so someone has that exact sound somewhere. Oh, that's pretty cool. And yeah. isn't, isn't that song in a weird guitar tuning? I think it's our A tuning. So what we do is we take our our C tuning, which is C G C F A D, mm-hmm. and we tune that low C down to an A, um, and it and it effectively becomes almost like if you think of the string relationships mm-hmm. of like a seven string that's missing the sixth string. And and I was messing around with that because I'd go on vacation or whatever, and I kind of missed my seventh string. So it gave you the range, sort of. You're sort of cheating to get the range. So you yeah. got an octave relationship if you do the open on the, the lowest string and the two on the next string. That'll be an octave. Um, and 
we have since used that tuning like a lot. It almost seems to have dominated over our regular drop C tuning on a six string as of late. So, uh, so that's another song where we're just using that tuning. Yeah. A G C F A D. Correct. Yeah. And did you name it? Is there like a, a periphery? You guys have pretty cool titles. I don't know if you named yeah, it. Yeah. You know, we haven't named our tunes. It's just the A tuning. Okay. Like we just, cause it's the only tuning that we have. Like we don't even need to say A on a six string. It's the only A tuning. We have a ton of tunings. It's really annoying and stupid. So what but is, that's just that's just we just say it's an A. What is Zygel Rocks tuning? Is that something? That's that's that same tuning. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a, it. Okay. That's that tuning. Yeah. Okay. So I so actually we for a while we used to call it Zygel Rocks tuning because that was like the only song that used that tuning. Okay. Okay. But gotcha. now it's just it's way too generalized and we never play Zygel Rocks live anymore. So. Uh, okay. doesn't translate the way we expected it to, but, uh, <laughs> they're <laughs> yeah. much better. They're much better. A songs now. Uh, but yeah, it's just the A tuning and we use it a lot. Nice. All right. Let's, uh, let's do another, another sound, another group of notes here. You ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. It's a blood Eagle solo. Oh, I know that one. Well, he's killing it. Yes. That is one tiny little passage of the flurry of notes. Uh, this is one of your best solos from a guitar player to a guitar player. I've listened oh, to thanks, a lot of your guitar solos. It's, you must have put a lot of time into this one, I would imagine. Sort or it of, just came I out. I hated it. I didn't want to write this guitar solo, and I kind of hated it. Um, it was the other guys. They didn't really want to do the solo, so they kept <laughs> cheering, me, cheering me on. They're like, yeah, Visha, you got this. You got this. Oh, I think wow. nobody wanted it, and I didn't want the solo. And Spencer was like, dude, you should do that like like that kind of like Holdsworthy vibe, you know? Like I'm like, I don't really know how to do that, but okay, you know, let's see what happens. And um, because they all know I'm obsessed with Holdsworth and I try to ape his shit, but I can't oh I don't know if I can swear. Oh yeah, I try yeah. To ape- we can we can swear. Okay, yeah. Well I try to ape his stuff anyways. <laughs> uh, but I'm not very good at it um because he's Holdsworth and I'm not. Um so I, uh, I I went for something and I don't, I don't know why I wasn't really vibing with a solo, but that's sometimes you just get two in your head, but this is why I love having a band because they're very, they're very honest with me. If something sucks, they'll just be like, yeah, dude, that sucks. Like let's, <laughs> let's try something else. But they were stoked. So it was one of those rare scenarios where like, I wasn't that stoked with it, but they were really hyped. And so I was like, okay, I'll just trust them. Maybe I'm just too close to it. Maybe I'm just too in my own head. And I was doing so many things on that album. You know, I was, I was, I was writing, I was recording, I was overseeing the writing session, overseeing the, the guitar tracking sessions and a lot of the production stuff. So it's just, I'm wearing a lot of different hats and sometimes you can get too close to stuff. So it's good that I can trust my guys. Totally. Um, so, so that solo stayed cause there was a point in time where I was like, yeah, I just want to trash this and like have one of you guys do it. And they're like, no, seriously, like, like we, we dig this. We're not just saying that. So then it stayed and now it's grown on me. Like now, now that I have like some space for me, I do like it actually. Um, but it's a, it's a weird one. It, it is definitely weird, and I think that's what makes it so cool. And uh, that music video, everything about that tune, and uh, I really I really liked it. So nice work. Yeah, that's a fun live song. That's actually a very fun live solo. I don't even like playing solos live, but funny enough, I actually enjoy playing that solo live. It's a fun one. Great. All right, got one more, one more for you here. And this is a deep cut. Oh, man. I'll leave it at that. Uh, oh, oh, this is going to be on my solo album. I'm redoing this for the solo. It's Unleash the Ponies. 
<laughs> ponies spelled p-w-n-i-e-s my favorite yeah. part about the song <laughs> uh yeah it's a pretty nuts song so actually that's very that's very much in my head because i was just retracking that the other day that song sucks um <laughs> <laughs> it's on it's on your uh so right now it's on the archives volume six under right your solo bulb the, so, mm-hmm. the solo artist name um and so so what that's a good segue that we can uh we can take and talk about what you're working on right now but before we get there this song has this awesome clean part in the end yeah can we expect to hear that again yeah i think i made it way better okay in fact i made it so much better that like and I threw in some like little cheeky synths in there mm-hmm. and like part of me is like I'm still in like the re-recording phase right now so I'm we at the end like I'll usually do like a spice racking phase where I'll try to like just mess with stuff and play around have a little fun with it Wait spice uh, racking? That's what we call it. So like after we're done with everything it's like we call we call it spice racking where you just take the song and you're just like all right where can we throw some spice here? Where can oh, you know it's like you get the spice rack out and you start to like sprinkle some stuff everywhere. I like that. Only to make it better. You can throw too much spice on something and ruin it. Yes. So so I still need to spice rack the stuff for the album but um one thing I was thinking about doing was like extending that and like doing like some electro beats o- over it or something and and fade out on that cuz it, it's sounding like really lush right now mm. so i'm actually really happy with with how the the ending sounds on that now way more than the original um but yeah like that that one was a that one was a real pain to track i'll tell you that dude God, it's, it it's an onslaught like yeah it is what i was talking about at the very beginning in the wrong hands the notes that you're playing and i mean it has to be exactly the rhythmic choices that you make too not just the the harmonic and, and melodic things but the the rhythm really makes the notes uh have the effect that they do you know yeah but on that song everything is super deliberate like every note is the note it needs to be Mm -hmm. which is why it's such a pain to play because it's sort of approached more compositionally rather than like what my fingers would tend to do so it sucks to play but it sounds the way i want it to sound if that makes sense absolutely Today's episode of Guitar Villains is brought to you by Guitar Super System. Are you tired of YouTube ads telling you that YouTube guitar lessons suck? Me too. I don't know about you, but somebody setting an acoustic guitar on fire or teaching crappy cover songs in front of a musty black curtain feels a little disingenuous to me. I'll get straight to the point. Join tens of thousands of other guitar players and visit guitarsupersystem.com to join the most popular independent guitar learning platform on the internet. If you're a beginner, there's an entire curriculum called the Beginner's Corner just for you. If you're an expert, the music theory and technique curriculums reach the highest levels of mastery and are based on industry standard learning methods I've used since graduating Berklee College of Music. If you're somewhere in the middle, you're actually the perfect candidate. The Choose Your Destiny approach allows you to cater your learning experience to exactly what you want to accomplish, whether that's improving your improvising, ear training, learning new techniques, songwriting, and more. You'll also have access to private live streams, lesson comments, and a community forum for feedback, as well as exclusive giveaways and new curriculum releases. The best part is everything that I just mentioned is included in one monthly subscription and you can cancel anytime or like a lot of people do upgrade your subscription to a yearly pass. Of course you can also just learn guitar right on YouTube for free because YouTube guitar lessons don't suck if you know where to look. So check out guitarsupersystem.com. Now back to guitar villains. So that's a good a good uh, segue to talk about the the solo and and maybe the solo project. So you're basically taking 
all these volumes of your older music and repackaging some of them as a as a solo release is that about right so yeah this is like a full-on so the archives are basically like things that already existed that were out online i'm putting it all in a place because it was kind of hard to listen to and now you could just go up on spotify or youtube and listen to it if you want and it's it's almost for posterity at this point it's not really something i care about that much but it's just it's there you can enjoy it i hope you do um the solo album is an actual concerted effort to put together a solo album and i think there are four songs that I'm re-recording from the old archives. I'm like, you know, I kind of always wanted to give these songs a fair shot, and and you know, I'm glad that I can. Um, so those songs are uh, uh, "Breeze," if you're familiar with that one, "Unleash the Ponies," "Foof," and uh, "Press Enter." So those those are the ones that will be like the ones people recognize. The rest will be stuff that no one's heard uh, before. So it's a good little mix uh, of of old and new. Um, but it's been kind of nice and, and almost cathartic to be able to take some of these old ideas I always felt were strong and I was always pretty proud of. But I was like, you know, they sound dated and I, I wish I could just go in and clean them up. And at this point, it's just easier to just re-record the damn thing and, you know, do it properly. So Is that hopefully- something you've been meaning to do for a while and just kind of had the extra time for obvious reasons? Or is it a concerted effort to make it happen no, it's more of a concerted effort to make it happen. I, I've definitely had time to do this. I just don't like writing alone, to be honest. Like, especially like having like some of the people I collaborate with, like whether it's band members or whoever. You know, um, I have really good writing chemistry, and it makes it so much easier. I always say, like, you know, a decision becomes so simple when you just even have another person in the room being like, yes or no. You know, like they don't yeah. even have to necessarily write, but just bouncing it off of someone that you trust. Uh, and that you know has the same eye on the prize that they're just like we just want to create something awesome it saves so much time i'm here like making these decisions torturing myself being like you know spending two hours being like is this better is this what? i don't know you know yeah and and so writing like writing a solo album just never seemed like a lot of fun and it's uh, it's not really but it's something i want to do i feel like it's a good little challenge for me we have a label now we have some downtime it, it all sort of just converged um, I think I'd be doing it regardless of this COVID situation, mm-hmm. but um, it obviously like gives me an excuse to like focus on that, you know? Yeah, totally. So you're an awesome guitar player, but you also wear a producer hat. And that's one thing I know about you. You've worked on projects like with Animals as Leaders, Port mm-hmm. Osiris, from, from the Path, Veil of Maya. Uh, some of my favorite things... You, that you do aside from the music you make is the occasional like behind the scenes style YouTube uh, sessions that you do on producing <laughs> and whether that's like recording guitars or drums or composing music or engineering tricks. So how does looking at music from the lens of a producer affect your composition or even your guitar playing? Um, I think guitar playing becomes really secondary at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people have noticed like, like, I mean, I don't really write riffs. I'm uh, not as technical. I think when I first started, there was a lot more of like, look at me, here I am, look at what I can do, you know? Mm-hmm. And now I see guitar more as just one tool that you have in your toolbox. Uh, and it's great to learn it, and I want to be better at it, And I, you know, but it's almost for different reasons. It's more like I want to facilitate ideas that are in my head and and gang them out into the real world. So that's where you need chops, you need to be sort of proficient. Mm-hmm. But it's much more as just like guitar is just a tool. So I don't really care if a part is technical or cool or whatever. I want to see it more in the 
the the picture of the whole song or even in the whole album. Like it's about much larger picture things for me uh, and exploring vibes and things like that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it requires taking a step back. Uh, but I think I think I have a knack for it, and 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 I really do enjoy it. I do enjoy the creative process, and I do love working with people I have good chemistry with, and sort of shaping it. And oftentimes, it's these people who are very very talented, and I can kind of come in and mold it into something that that makes sense, or help mold it into something that's like a complete song, complete album. So that that's yeah, guitar playing becomes like kind of less important in and of itself. What do you think? the hardest thing about playing the guitar and the easiest thing about playing the guitar? Two different answers. Do you have answers for either of those things? Um, for me personally, I don't think I'm a very good guitarist, so I struggle with a lot. I think the guitar is a pretty hard instrument. You're pretty good, uh, man. <laughs> I, I just hate the way I sound. You know, I always feel like, I feel like the, the quote unquote better, I guess, get the worse I realize I am, you know, and the more I, I, I re- that, gap, sure. I realize there is between me and like, players I consider to be like actually good. Um, is that just from like listening to other people or listening back to what you've done? Like what's your both. critical lens? Yeah, both. I, I, you know, I hear other people play. I'm like, God, I wish I sounded like that. And I hear myself play and I'm tracking my stuff right now. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm a mess. Like just very disappointed with my abilities. Uh, it's a struggle, you know? Uh, whereas for other people, I see them effortlessly just sound wonderful. I'm like, God, I wish I was like that. But you know, uh, it's just realizing like where I'm actually at in the, in the, in the game, if you will. But, uh, the, the, the easy thing, I mean, I guess, I guess on some level it's a relatively accessible instrument. So maybe it's one of those, you know, uh, easy to get into, but tough to master kind of crafts. But even then I'd say initially it's a, it's a very sort of, it's a, it's a bit of an esoteric instrument when you think about it. Like your left and right hands are doing such strange things mm-hmm. and such specific motions even to the point where I wonder like why they're a left-handed guitarist or anything like that, because it's like, they're two just completely arbitrary motions. doesn't, you don't really have a leading hand. There's even a case to be made that like perhaps left-handed people would, would have their more dexterous hands doing the tougher motion. You know, fretting seems to be a little bit tougher. Yep. Uh, so I know a lot of left-handed people who play uh, uh, right-handed guitar very well. So it's a very strange instrument, but I feel like once you get the ball rolling, yeah, like it, it, it uh, it can be pretty easy to get into, but then once you try to master it, you're just like, Jesus Christ, like stuff like alt picking yeah. very cleanly, sweep picking, economy picking, stuff like that. That can be very, very challenging. Cool, man. Uh, I totally agree. And, and, and following up on, on just your, your creative process and examining, you know, your own playing, I think is actually really healthy and being critical is important to improvement. So, uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, but in the recording process, for example, I think that's actually an underlying lesson that a lot of guitar players can take is the act of recording yourself is actually a really, really good skill. And you do that a lot, obviously, with your songwriting uh, for Periphery and your solo album. And when you're, for example, creating like get good drums, uh, drum samples that you use to, to create drum grooves and play to. Um, so that's a good point for people to take away is recording yourself is, is actually extremely useful as a musician trying to do. Yeah. I actually think, you know, cause there's always like practice to a metronome. I'd take a degree further and say, record yourself. 
Um, because the one thing that you don't get with a metronome is feedback. So you may think you're nailing it, mm-hmm. but you might not be. But my God, if you record it and you double track something and you're not doing it tight, like that's all the evidence. You'll have it right there. You'll know immediately. Yeah. And then you can get very granular. You could be like, oh, I'm actually like, you know, late on this. Oh, I'm a, I came in a little bit early. And you can start to look at the transients and things like that. I'd say that like I really credit a lot of my sort of tightness uh, as a as a guitar player to recording specifically because it forces you to get to, to get tight, you know, if you're going to double track or, you know, God forbid quad track something, you, you, you have to be on it. You know, if you're not, it will sound horrible. I totally agree. I mean, when I started doing YouTube videos consistently, my guitar playing skyrocketed and I had already been, you know, I went to a music college where I'm, I have to be good at guitar or else I fail like proficient is what I mean. And, uh, I was nothing compared to, recording myself almost every single day and being like wow that i'm terrible that sucks what the hell like that's what i sound like are you kidding me (laughs) so uh yeah just food for thought if you have a means to record yourself with a metronome you know some sort of accountability device whether it's a drum loop or accountability device i like that that's true that's exactly what it is yeah so um speaking of get good drums you don't know this but i actually used get good drums on my latest ep and oh that's awesome i use it all the time in my content and yeah like i i've got the the groove packs and it's such a great we gotta hook you up with a new kit and everything man we, we gotta oh, make sure you're up to date then you please, know please do I'll, I'll take whatever i can get um absolutely but have you have you it's such a great tool for creativity and you know it's fresh that's what i love about it it's, it's just you know aside from sounding amazing it's it's just really fresh and i i have to ask have you discovered any court of, or sorry, any sort of formula for writing music that you feel the most comfortable, like starting with a drum groove and then adding a guitar patch or vice versa? Or do you have any set formula? Not that you do every time, but that you it's found interesting a sweet that spot. you ask this. It's interesting that you ask this because generally speaking, I'd always start with a guitar, guitar riff. It'd be very rare to start with the drums. Um, but when I was writing a riff, I generally had the drum groove in mind, at least one, sometimes several. Mm-hmm. So it's just like kind of getting the drum groove in, in my head out. And like I would always start by recording the guitar and I put the drums to it. And it may vary or get tweaked as I'm recording it to or, or as I'm programming it to what the, the guitars I recorded. But that was always the process. It was always guitars first. As of late, and as you mentioned, we have these groove packs, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do for uh, uh, for uh, Get Good Drums is I'll, I'll create content where I'm kind of showcasing like some some of the stuff that we have. And since I've started to focus on the groove packs a little bit, it's forced me to write to other people's grooves. So now it's backwards. It's like I have a drum groove. Let's see what I come up with. And I have to say, I've been having a lot of fun with that. Like it's it's totally just changed the dynamic of how i write completely now it's such a foreign concept that even at first i remember telling the guys i was like all right i'll give it a shot but you know just so you know i don't do this like mm-hmm. this is not yeah. and they're like well just showcase it for the customers because like we don't need to we need to be able to show them that it's like it's something that can be a, a useful tool uh but then i was shocked like i learned that like i actually quite like writing to these grooves especially like these very sort of fleshed out grooves these sometimes are very specific or they've got a lot of character to them mm-hmm. and it that will inspire you you'll hear these musical notes you'll hear things that in a vacuum you'd never hear right so um i'm i'm maybe slowly getting converted to to the other side not not entirely i, I still like to do 
uh, I still like to write the riff first, but now I feel like I can do both. And that maybe if I'm in a rut, like actually having a groove first can, uh, can sort of spark some inspiration or can get, can get that moving again. If you, if you feel you're kind of stuck. It's how I wrote all three songs. I started with the, with your drums. Oh, okay. So uh, it works. That's great. Yeah, man. It's this exact, the process you just described is how I started each, each, uh, and the cool thing was too, is I would tweak. So I had some riffs that were kind of preconceived notions that I brought to the table. And then I was like, all right, and let's see how they, and they kind of transformed. And then I was molding, I would like move kick drums and move snare hits. But overall the groove was above, above all else, a real drummer. So oh, yeah. I feel like the problem with, with drum loops is that they aren't necessarily, even if they are, you know, recorded similarly, like for logic drummer example, for example, uh, there, I would imagine they're real drummers and, and recorded just how you guys may have, but for whatever reason, it just lacked that human quality. And yeah. you could tell that the grooves that you guys um, offer, and I haven't gone through all of them, but the ones that I've checked out, are just really human, and and that's that's so, hard yeah, for a guitar no, you'll player. You'll notice they're you not know? on the beat; they're they're not perfectly exactly. quantized. And that was um, that was how I liked. It. You can you can adjust yeah. like very very minute details. Like you could quantize it if you wanted it to sound more sort of quote unquote perfect. Yeah, but it sounds more human the way it is because you know humans don't play perfectly on the beat. <laughs> like or sometimes for effect, some hits are a little late. You know, a little early. Like just to create some push and pull within the groove. So we hired these guys. You know, who are very good friends of of ours and who are phenomenal drummers. Where you're you're trusting their feel. You right. don't want to quantize these guys. These guys don't get quantized. You know, no, it's like no. you're hi- usually hiring them so that you don't have to quantize. So, um, so yeah, like I think I think that that's one thing that that we really focused on is the dynamics and also with the timing, like getting making sure that the feel came through and that stuff can make a groove really come to life. I think like that can really inject some life into you know something as cold as program drums. Absolutely. Uh, so speaking of one of your many companies, you friggin' businessman over here, uh, I've had a good time using the Flux Echo. Oh, uh, that's right. That's it's right. A really, it's a really nice modern tool. I have a little sample I'd like to play. This is going straight into uh, the Apex preamp, Ooh. Uh, into the Flux Echo, into my universal audio interface. So no cab or amp head. Or okay. Anything. So here we go. That's sick. And we'll, <laughs> it may sound a little different to you. I promise it sounds cool on my end. No, uh, over, over the, over the Skype over call. Um, so yeah, man, like that's, that's such a cool, it's like a, a mobile rig almost. Yep. Um, that was the idea. So going back to the flux echo, I just wanted to play that little lick. It's pretty fun. Um, uh, the <laughs> that's fl- great. You got, you got to teach me some licks, dude. One of these days we've got to hang on. You got to teach me some yeah, licks. Yeah. When the world is, is it balanced? We will, we'll convene for sure. <laughs> it's a deal. Um, so I have a question that may Depend on your, depending on your level of guitar nerdiness, may have a quick answer or a long one. But mm-hmm. is there a difference between 
echo and delay or is that just a um, verbiage discrepancy? Yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I think I have my, my sort of, uh, differentiation between the two. I mean, I'd say an echo is a type of delay maybe. Uh, um, yeah. Maybe it's a subset like delay being sort of a generalized like delay effect where it's just you get these repeats, but like to some degree like a, a digital delay will be a perfect repeat of it. An analog delay, you, like a bucket brigade delay, you expect to sort of uh, lose fidelity as as each repeat comes through. And an echo is sort of born of a of a tape echo or something like that, where that's just built in by design. And ironically, something that they invented technology after the fact to get rid of that deterioration, eventually getting to things like digital delays that had perfect repeats. Mm-hmm. But to us, we now fell in love with the, you know, the imperfect repeats of the tape echoes and things like that. So all of the echoes on the, um, or the delays or whatever you want to call it on the, the flux echo are of that variety of like either tape echo, or analog echo, where they will sort of degrade with every repeat in, in a really beautiful way. And I, and I like that. And there's also, if you could hear there, there's this really high, depending on which little setting you have, there's this really mm-hmm. high shimmer. Oh, yeah, I that's usually, the bottom setting. Yeah, so I usually associate that with reverbs. Like, I've seen that in mm-hmm. various reverb pedals, but I haven't really caught that in a delay. And I really So there's like a that. reverb on this pedal as well. So right. it's like, this is supposed to be like ambience in a box. Yes. We didn't really see a lot of uh, delay pedals that were like just sort of aimed at just like sort of ambient use, right? So as a result, like, it's like, yeah, you would have delay going into your reverb. So mm-hmm. might, might as well just have them both going. And it, it's just like... If you don't know anything about delays or reverb, but you just want like lush ambience, you just kind of set everything to noon and just turn the pedal on, and there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to be a, a, a tone expert to to extract a good tone from this pedal. Great, yeah, it's sort of like a you can get deep into it and and really get some some interesting sounds happening, or you can just turn it on and put the knobs wherever, and good stuff yep. comes out. So sign exactly, of a, sign of a good pedal. Uh, couple questions here build a band what four others in a band living or dead would you want to be the fifth member of mm. it doesn't have to make sense or it does so it's like an existing band like the other four members no, are in no. a band or i just building build a band it can be five guitar players there's no rules okay or it could be a regular band so holdsworth is definitely in there okay holdsworth uh uh God, oh, this is tough. This is so tough. They won't. Uh, you won't hurt Holdsworth, their feelings. Holdsworth and Guthrie are are in there because I gotta I gotta learn some. Licks. You're a brave dude. Okay, let's keep going. Holdsworth. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be rhythm guitar. I'll be out of the way. <laughs> uh, I, I'll be out of the way and just like sneaking some some peeks at some licks, you know. Yeah. Uh, drums. Uh, maybe like Benny Greb on drums on drums he would be uh he would be pretty pretty or chris coleman right one of those guys okay um yeah chris coleman's just absurd so what so musical all right you got uh, one person left on on bass uh god do i know bassists Bass is, is big guitar, right yeah it's like a a, a ukulele it has that, less strings it's a ukulele that went through puberty there we go. Yeah, you go. I like that. Uh, who's sick on bass, man? Just, who would I? Who would I choose? And who would fit the vibe? Yeah, think about that. Who, who's 
laying down with Benny Greb and complimenting, so trying, complimenting the chord voicings of Holdsworth and, and that's that's Guthrie. a tough that's a tough one. I I, I don't know. Uh, let's go with Simon Grove. He can hang. Oh, Simon yeah. Grove can. He's got great tone. He can hang with anyone. He's a good dude from uh, from. Well, I, I don't know if he's officially in Pliny or not, but he's this, he always plays with Pliny. He's a session guy. He plays with everybody on the planet. I know him from when uh, Pliny toured with us. Um, and he's a great dude. He's, and, and and he plays guitar. He's one of those guys who just sucks because he's great at everything. <laughs> yes, and he's a he's a he's a really good dude, and he could he could hang. I think he could hang with that, and he'd be very grateful. He'd be like, dude. I get to play with Guthrie and, and, and Holdsworth every day. I'll do anything you want. And I'll be like, yes, you will. So yes, (laughs) I think did I name five people. Well, yeah, yeah, I named four and I'm the fifth. You're the fifth. Yep. And, and and everyone will be like, how the hell did Misha get in that band? Like, what does he bring to the table? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you got the X I, I wash, factor. Man. I wash their clothes. And I bring people coffee in the morning. You know, I play a little. I play some power chords in the background, and I'm happy. You know, yeah. <laughs> you would fill out the perfect, the perfect amount of mid range in the power chord there we region. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite airplane album? Album to listen to on an airplane. That's a good one. Um, I'll listen to like John Hopkins, something chill. John Hopkins or Hammock. Mm-hmm. Hammock is great. Cigarose. Something oh, so I can just kind of like relax and fall asleep to. Yeah, just something like kind of dreamy. Maybe telephone, Tel Aviv. Just something like that That whole realm there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, triphonic. Like all this, all this just kind of like just chill, chill stuff. I mean, I like that's generally what I listen to anyways. But I think like especially on a plane, like it's just with that in the end. And like, you know, you know, how planes have that, that just like calming white noise yes. sound. It's just like, yeah, it works pretty well for me. Uh, last question for you here, and this is tying in the villainy aspect. You might, okay. you might make a couple people mad here. Okay. Do 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 your worst. Okay. What do you believe about guitar or music? But maybe aim it toward guitar. What do you believe about the guitar that most guitar players would think is crazy? Hmm. Like what? Like what's an example of that? I'm not entirely sure how to answer that yet. Well, uh, a basic low hanging fruit would be tone wood isn't real. Oh, oh no! I definitely think tone wood is real. Um, it could be a, a playing style. It could be a, a something very small. Like this, this string type is only for this kind of music. Something well, that I you mean, believe I'm, I'm gonna others- I'm gonna say something that that I feel like I hear people say this all the time rhetorically and no one actually believes it because when it comes down to it, even, even I make this mistake sometime is that tone is really in the hands. Like all that stuff matters. Everything actually, everything does matter on a guitar. I know for a fact that tone would matters because you know, I designed my, my, uh, my, uh, production models, my signature models, Mm -hmm. and I'm getting all sorts of variants where it's just one difference, you know? And it's like, can be pretty scientific about it. And we have just changed the body wood and like heard a difference or the, even the fretboard or things like that. So I know that stuff matters, but really, really what matters is your hands. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and, and I can't tell you how many times, like, you know, people have bought my gear, you know, I'm selling a lot of gear and I, and I love it. And I talk about it and I talk about how great it is. And, you know, they're like, but yeah, but how do I get to sound like you? And it's like, dude, all the gear you buy in the world won't make you sound like me, but you you shouldn't even sound like me because even better, you'll sound like you. 
You know, um, I I don't even try to sound like me. I don't know what I sound like. I just kind of just go for what I like. You know, there is no sounding like me. And it's just the way I happen to strike the strings and whatever. Uh, and, and as I already mentioned, I don't, I'm not very happy with how I sound. So, uh, I, I think like really, really at the end of the day, it, it, it is like the tone is in the hands and people will say that you'll hear people say it and evangelize and, and, and say all that stuff. But I don't think people really believe it. I think at the end of the day, they're like, yeah. And I've made this mistake because I literally saw Andy Timmons play and I was like, Jesus Christ. I'm going to buy Mesa Lone Star. A lot of people have that reaction when he plays. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I went and bought a a Mesa Lone Star because I was like, God, that guitar tone's so good. And I don't sound like Andy Andy Timmons. You know, I have the Mesa Lone Star is a great amp. Uh, It sounds really cool. I unfortunately do not sound anything like it. So I actually think I'm probably just missing his overdrive pedal. And then that will be it. Surely that is the missing piece. It's probably just that. Um, But yeah, like it's, it's interesting because I think everyone hearing me say this would be like, yeah, yeah, of course tones in the hand, but I don't think anyone actually believes it. And they kind of prove that they don't believe it, uh, with, with the way that they sort of react to like getting gear. And as I just demonstrated, I'm guilty of it too. You know? Yeah. Um, I've definitely bought gear just because I saw some artist just completely rock it and be like, yeah, it's the gear. Not like, you know, the decades of practice and like the unique voice that they have <laughs> for whatever it's reason. Fun to it's fun be ignorant. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. We can justify our, our needs for for finding a shortcut. I'm I'm a very bad offender in this area. So I, I'm I'm speaking hypocritically, but you wanted me to identify something that I think is sort of wrong like that and it's so wrong that it's still wrong with me. And intellectually I'm aware and emotionally I'm not. <laughs> nice. Well, Misha, as we wind down here, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to be on Guitar Villains today. Uh, yeah, it's been a blast, and we'll look forward to seeing what treacherous plots you develop and devise in your future musical endeavors. You mean world domination? Oh, future mu- No, no, that's a way better way of saying it. That's a way better. Thank you. Yes, I, I really need to stop saying the the world domination thing. Yeah.